2: The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It is a free call. 1-855-450-NOAH. It's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour. Joining me, my co-host Steve Evans. Welcome in, sir. Hey, Noah. How are you? I'm doing great. So we're going to kick off tonight with a phone call. Uh, this is James from Grand Forks. Hey, James. Welcome to the program. James, do we have you? James, you're on the air. Mommy. Nope, not mommy. Wrong number, maybe?
3: Yeah.
2: No. Going once. Going twice. Thanks for the call. All right, Noah's It's 855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. We are soliciting your feedback. We've gotten some feedback and some questions about ticketing and asset management. So, Steve and I have thought, Hey, maybe this is one of those things we should put together a segment and focus on. But if we're going to do that, we need more feedback. We need more input. So we want you to write in live at AskNoahShow.com. Let us know what you're thinking. What kind of things would you look for in a ticket and asset management system? Write in. We'll try and cover those. You're on the show. Our first email this hour comes in from Charlie. Charlie writes in and says, Good day, community. Steve and Noah. Is it possible to convert a Docker file into a Podman file, or do you need to extract the Docker files recompile it as Podman? Charlie, I'll turn that over to our resident Docker expert. Steve, thoughts?
0: So the Docker file is actually part of a standard that Docker founded in... Uh, 2015. So it's an open standard. It's called the Open Container Initiative. Because of that, Podman implements the spec for the OCI containers. It can, <clears throat> pardon me, it can natively handle Docker files. And so I guess the answer to the question is if you've already got a doc, Docker file, you don't need to worry about using a container file. So the container file format is uh, kind of like a Podman native or I suppose OCI native, just kind of getting away from the idea of tying it directly to Docker. But if you got a Docker file, it's going to work just fine because it's implementing the spec from this uh, Open Container initiative.
2: Very good. I-, I think we've got James back. James, are you there with us?
3: Can you hear me out? I can. How can we help? Awesome. Well, good to talk to you again, Noah. thanks Uh Recollecting from a previous show, somebody had called in asking for some uh, tips or tricks on how to uh, strip little tiny wire, and I've used uh, thermal strippers before. Uh, A couple manufacturers that make them would be Teledyne or uh, Omega, they make a pair. Uh, Also, Patco, PTS-10. So okay. A tiny handheld device that gets really hot and then strip, strip the insulation off a of tiny wire. They work fabulously, and I, I recommend them for all of the DIYers out there who are uh, frustrated with those you know, regular wire strippers.
2: Well, that's a fantastic tip!
3: Yeah, my question is, uh, my parents are being up there in age, and um. They live out in the country. There's not a lot of people. They don't live in a populated area. You know, if some, something were to happen, you know, there's not going to be anybody next door to come help. And so I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for some sort of wearable device with GPS tracking, and maybe even a way to monitor, you know, some basic health or some vital signs and send alerts if they kind of exceed a certain range.
2: Man, off the top of my head, hi, I don't know, Steve, any thoughts on that?
3: The Apple Watch,
0: honestly, um I'm not a huge Apple fan, but uh, my wife has an Apple Watch and that thing is fantastic. It can have its own cellular connection. Uh it does GPS, especially if you get the ones that that do the extra um EKG monitoring, so worrying about heart and all the rest of that sort of thing. That's exactly what it's intended to help with. So um, it's it's a bit of on the expensive side, but I know it works because I have personal, like, firsthand experience with it. There are some other products on the market that I'm significantly less familiar with that try to compete. Um, but I think if you're looking for reliability and something that has that has the ability to take its own SIM card, so that you're not uh, beholden to Wi-Fi coverage or anything like that, the, the Apple Watch is really squarely what fills fits that bill.
3: Okay, excellent. I I didn't look at it like that. But I guess I was unaware that the watches had their own cellular connection. So that that is definitely a, a an option. So
0: yeah, you have to get the one that has that feature because they have some with or without. But I mean, it sounds like that would be the ideal because of the the nature of your of your parents and things like that. They probably have some level of cell signal that will uh, help cover that.
3: All right. Perfect. Thank you very much. You bet.
2: Sorry we didn't have a more open source solution for you. We'll uh, continue to work. I have high hopes for things like the pine time. I think you give it a couple of years and let some of this stuff bake. I think a lot of that's going to come to fruition. We just don't have a whole lot of great options right now. Again, 855-450-NOAH, that is the number to join the program. You can email us live at asknoahshow.com. Our second email comes in from Mike. Mike writes in and says, Hi, Noah. I think you've covered this in a previous episode, but I'm having trouble finding it. If I recall correctly, you have a server which fetches All the podcasts you like to listen to, you then have them on your personal devices and update from your server, not the podcast source. There seems to be a huge number of podcasters out there, so that's not an issue. Having trouble finding some sort of an RSS feed generator or podcast server, which can run on my server, local devices and sync to having ability to sync playback portions among all of my personal devices would be a plus. I've been trying to install a self-hosted version of gpotter.net in Docker, but I haven't had any luck getting it to run. Do you have any other solutions? What do you use? Thanks for all the self-hosting hobbies communities, Mike. So personally, I do it one of two ways. If I need to get it into an RSS feed, I actually just use Fireside. I go to fireside.fm. I sign up for an account and uh, and I just upload them there. And I've actually, my wife needed to listen to, she's a, she needed to listen to a series of continuing education credits on her phone. And she said, what's the easiest way for me to get these on my phone? My, the professor releases these as videos. I don't want to watch them as videos. I just want to be able to listen to them as I drive around. And that's what I did for her. I took all those video files, pulled them into audacity, uh, rendered them out as audio files and then uploaded them onto fireside. She just subscribed to my little fake podcast and got them that way. The other way that you can do it, it's not as glamorous as, uh, as an RSS feed, but you can just use plain old FTP and you can run a sync client on your Android device and it will automatically upload uh, from uh, the computer that downloads all of the podcasts, upload them into a folder that has FTP access, and then you just sync them back out. That's what I do for Dave Ramsey's show. They trim their RSS feed so you can't go back more than a certain amount of episodes. And I'm a hardcore Dave Ramsey fan. I want to hear every word that man has to say, and I want to have it archived indefinitely. And that's how I do it. It, it pulls it down, and I'm using a Podget to do that. And I'll have a link for you in the show notes, podget.sourceforge.net. It downloads it to a server, and then it's, and then I just FTP him over to my phone, and I listen to him that way. And it works uh, pretty well. Steve, your thoughts on the best way to consume media on the go?
0: So, because we have Plex and Jellyfin kind of set up over here, that's the way that I do it. Because um, essentially, I did this with Unfilter back in the day. I stored all of the Unfilter ones, uh, anyways. It doesn't matter which which podcast it was. And the reason why I like it is because it does do the tracking, like the syncing, the playback positions and stuff like that. And you can set it so that in both of those applications, only sync down the ones that I haven't listened to yet. So both my wife and I use either one of those to handle that task.
2: Our third email comes in from Hank. Hank writes in and says, Hey, Noah, I purchased a CD for my wife from Amazon. And since it was a gift, I ticked the little box indicating. So when I went to download the MP3s, I found that. If it was a CD purchased for a gift, you don't get to do that. It wasn't a big deal since it's near trivial for me to rip the CDs myself, but that's the last time I'll mark a CD as a gift. Years ago, when I was busy ripping the bulk of our CD collection, I found a true zero-click solution. It was a Perl script that would watch the CD drive, and when something was inserted, it would read the ID, went into CDDB, look up the info, then processed the rip, and converted it to MP3, labeled all of the tracks, and ejected the disk. It was a little clumsy because I had to edit the source to change the storage location, bit rates, and so on. But once it was done, all I had to do was pop a CD and wait for it to pop out before putting the next one in. Incidentally, I find Steve Ovens to be a great addition to the show. It's great to have someone whose knowledge and expertise may not be the same as your experience and viewpoints. The two of you provide a breadth and depth of various subjects. Thanks, Hank. We appreciate it, Hank, and that's, that's a great idea with the Perl script. I'd be interested if somebody has a more updated projects, I'd be even more interested if there was something like that, that would convert DVDs or Blu-rays into MKVs. Our fourth email comes in from a hope I'm pronouncing this right. A tariff, a tariff writes in and says, hi Noah, love the show. A few episodes back, you mentioned that one of your clients is an engineering firm. I work at a multidisciplinary engineering firm, structural, electrical, and mechanical. And we've often thought about what it would take to get set up with such a firm that's using Linux and open source. I feel it would be difficult to find usable, open-source versions of the specialty software needed for this kind of work, such as CAD structural analysis and specialty electrical engineering software, or even to get that kind of proprietary software running on Linux. I'm wondering if your work with this client has managed to bridge any of those gaps or if you could share any experiences. Thanks. Keep up the great work. So, I... I, I Yes, I, I think I can uh, share some stuff. I have invited the owner of that engineering firm to come on the program to share their experience with Linux. And I want to be clear up front: they were using Linux um, before we were really brought in. Uh, they called us and said, hey, we want to switch to Linux. Do you have any hardware tips? And so I, I gave them some offhand hardware tips. And we get calls all the time from people that are either part of the show or just have heard that we're the company that can help you in your business use Linux. And so it's not uncommon for me to take a phone call and give some information then never hear back from, from them. Um, But they did. And they came back and said, okay, now we want to buy laptops and we want to deploy all Thunderbolt. And so we talked a little bit about that. They went and did their thing. And then just recently they hired us to come. They're building a new office and they said, we want you to do our office soup to nuts. We want you to come in, do the networking, the planning, the security, the access control, all of it. And we just want you to do it. Um, So, at the point that we were brought in, yes, we brought in uh, open source and self-hosted solutions. In fact, it was kind of funny because the fiber line uh, didn't make it in on time. And so when the owner came to tour his facility, I said, well, I got good news and bad news. Bad news is your fiber line isn't here. We couldn't do anything about that. But the good news is because all of our stuff is self-hosted, your network's up and running. Like it won't get to the Internet. All you can access is local resources, but everything here works just fine. Um, and But at that point, they were already using... Linux on all of their machines, and so the short answer to your question is the software that they're not able to run directly on Linux, they virtualize, and the software that they are able to run on Linux, and I do believe they are making a migration to CAD software, I don't believe it's open source, but I believe it does run natively on Linux, so I will reach out to him and find out and see if we can include that as part of our interview when I get him on the program. Our next guest is, this is, uh, I'm excited about this, it is Jack a boot pool. He is the community manager for Alma Linux and a guest this hour on the Ask Noah show. Now we have talked about other, op- we've talked about many different uh, Red Hat clones and uh, server operating systems, but Alma Linux is what we've switched to over at AltaSpeed Technologies when we're deploying servers. For clients, and I think they have a really compelling offering. And so it is my great pleasure to welcome Jack into the program. Jack, thanks so much for taking the time to be here. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. That is not Jack.
1: Hey, everybody. Hey, Noah. Thank you so much
2: for taking the time to be here, Jack. I want to start by uh, asking a little bit about Cloud Linux and Cloud Linux OS. Can you tell me the backstory? Who and what is Cloud Linux? And what is the connection between Cloud Linux and Alma Linux?
1: Yeah, so actually, uh, to be fairly honest with you, I'm, uh, very terribly divorced from, uh, all the cloud Linux stuff. So I don't have too much, uh, background about it. And actually, uh, I, Noah, you'll probably want to edit this out, but, uh, we're kind of trying to, uh, move away from the association from cloud Linux. So we're trying to like not lean on that so much. Um, I don't know if you, uh, Want to include that or not, but I, I personally don't have, uh, anything to do with it, um, other than the fact that, um, you know, they're, they're basically employing me now, um, to, uh, take care of the community responsibilities for, uh, for Alma Linux. Um, that being said, I'm, I'm really not that terribly intertwined with the cloud Linux organization. Um, what I can say about them, is that um, they have a separate product called Cloud Linux OS. And uh, what they try to do is they gear that very specifically uh, really towards the web hosting industry. And so I guess the backstory kind of is, uh, and this is before I actually got involved, was uh, they had some meetings and decided that, hey, you know what, Um, we're already building a Rel clone. Why don't we just um, you know open it up and do it the right way and do it for the community because we're already devoting like you know tons and tons of resources to it. Um, and, it's, and and it's really all being used for ourselves. Why don't we open this up and make it available to everyone? And that's kind of where the Alma Linux story started. You
2: know, I'll tell you what, Jack. I'll tell you why I think
1: that is entirely
2: appropriate for the interview and, and why I think it's important people to, to hear that is I think there is a lot of apprehension any time a larger company comes along and says, hey, we're going to do this. We're here to help. We're here to do this. Yeah. Because there's yeah. this idea that. Well, they must have an agenda, and the fact that the fact that the people that they 're involving they say, "Hey, we want you to work on all Linux you don 't have to worry about what 's going on over here you 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 focus and worry about the community I think that 's exactly the message, and exactly what I would want to hear." if I were investing in a community enterprise operating system that I'm going to rely on, that you're, you, are, you are primarily concerned with and focused on the needs of the community. So tell me a little bit, when you first heard the news, Jack, you're sitting down in your chair and you hear the news that Red Hat is making some changes to send to us. What was your reaction?
1: So, uh, so I worked at Red Hat for a very long time, uh, about 10 years um, and the one thing that I learned, uh, one of the things that I learned while I was there is that there's kind of a story behind every story and every decision that goes on there. Um, I'm, I'm very familiar with the decision process there and very familiar with the people, um, even, uh, you know, in the, in the highest levels of, of upper management there. Uh, and so I kind of said there must be more than meets the eye to this. Because Red Hat is not uh, typically the company you would uh, you know, put in the same boat as uh, other companies which kind of like wholesale dismiss their <laughs> customer base, and especially when it's the community. And you know, that's not the Red Hat that I knew. And uh, Red Hat is a very strongly uh, values-based uh, company. And it's not it just struck me that, you know, I I was saying to myself, like everything that we were kind of ingrained uh, uh, to believe and everything that we were kind of ingrained to, to, you know, work around and work with that Red Hat was kind of tantamount to the total opposite of what this announcement said. And so I kind of went digging a little bit, trying to figure out like why. And, you know, what, what exactly was the impetus for this? Because I think a lot of people really kind of just took it on its face. And a lot of people kind of said like, oh, the hell with them. And, you know, these guys suck now and we don't want anything to do with them. And, you know, they, they basically sold the community, uh, down the river. And, uh, you know, that, that's where people kind of went with it. And I said to myself, you know, I, 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 I need to, to believe in them a little bit more than that. And I need to kind of get the backstory. And I need to understand, like, what the impetus was for the stream model. And uh, so, you know, I did what I guess any informed and and educated person would kind of do. I went and tried to get information about, you know, hey, what, what what was behind this? Like, what's causing this? Where is this coming from? And I really got lots of surprising answers. And surprisingly, I think that Red Hat did this for the benefit of the community. Now, not to say that I agree with everything. Um, especially not the, the eight end of life. I think that you know pushing that up was kind of the mistake there. I think had Red Hat decided to change and go with stream and not EOL8 and just say we're going to let eight you know run its course and, uh, and, and that'll be that. Um, I think it, it would have been uh, a lot more accepted within the community. So I didn't agree with everything that, that they announced, but, um, you know, I went digging for information and basically what I found was that Red Hat was actually coming at this from a very positive place and they thought that this would ultimately be a good thing and uh, that's that's basically what, what has, you know, solidified to me over the last year is that, you know, th- th- that's exactly it and that's exactly what they meant and, you know, the communication... Part of it was probably an epic fail. But other than that, uh, I think that they were trying to do this uh, for a very positive reason.
2: So... What I'm hearing you say, and this entirely jives with the people that we've had from Red Hat on this program and people from the community that have been on this program to talk about this situation kind of unfolding, is that Red Hat sought to serve the community just in a different way. And maybe we could look hindsight being 2020 and said, well, there could have been a better way that we could have marketed this or the better way we could have publicized this. But at the end of the day, their intentions were to serve the community. And indeed, that is what the what the the new model for Red Hat and CentOS Stream has become. Um, tell me a little bit about Alma Linux. So you hear this and you say to yourself, okay, so Red Hat is clearly seeking to serve the community, but there is uh, there is a gap, there is a void in what the community needs and where there is currently a solution. So Alma Linux comes onto the scene. Tell me the story about how Alma Linux came into existence. What is it? What does it do? Why does it exist?
1: Yes, so, um, okay, so the beginning of how things started was basically, um, everyone knows that, you know, uh, a, a few different, uh, groups decided to, uh, that they were going to create, a, a new, a new Santos, essentially, um, and so there were, uh, the, the Rocky people, there were the VZ people, there were a bunch of other, like, splinter groups all over the place, and, um... What I actually uh, uh, found out was so I knew Igor um, really kind of tangentially and some of the people at uh, Cloud Linux really tangentially. And so um, I was surprised when they made the announcement. But as I kind of uh, poked them about it and tried to find out, you know, what exactly was going on here, what I came to learn was that, you know, uh, Igor really had the community's best interest at heart. And we all know uh, that the really the big problem with CentOS was always that uh, it, it, it was always, it, let's, let's put it this way, it was always changing hands. You know, there was never like a set structure. This is supposed to be the community enterprise operating system. And the community part of it was missing in both the fact that most of the community was taking but not giving back, which was a big problem. And the second thing was, is that the community didn't actually own it. And I thought to myself, hey, for something that's supposed to be a community enterprise operating system, for it to keep moving between different organizations or whatever you want to call them, I, I just thought that that was <laughs> very ironic. And so, uh, in, in discussions with Igor and discussions with Simon Phipps, um, who is also uh, a board member now, uh, of the Alma Linux Foundation, Um, And he's uh, the former president of the OSI. You know, basically, I came to find out that, hey, uh, this was really being done for the best interest of the community and that this was really being uh, thought out really, really well. Like the Cloud Linux people, they didn't need to do this. You know, they're a company. They're a profitable company. They're a a very well-respected company. They have great product. And, you know, to me, I thought to myself, like, you know, actually, I asked them pretty bluntly, like, why in the heck do you want to get involved in this? You know, this is a whole, like, a whole new level of of, of torture. And, you know, basically, uh, what I was hearing from everyone was, look, uh, there's a large community and they are, you know, underserved. And uh, let's say now, after the announcement, a lot of them felt disrespected. And so uh, I just felt like they were coming at this from a very good place and they kind of had the logic uh, well thought out and they had uh, a plan in place to make everything happen. And I just kind of gravitated towards it. And then, you know, we were discussing things and all of a sudden I found myself, uh, you know, agreeing to be community manager.
2: That's so cool. That's an amazing start. So tell me a little bit about the Alma Linux OS Foundation. This is obviously separate entirely from Cloud Linux and in and, and true to the word of Cloud Linux, they are doing a community effort and so there's a community foundation that oversees Alma Linux. Talk to me about that. Tell me what the Alma Linux OS Foundation is and uh, why does it exist?
1: Yeah, so uh, what we decided to do Was we decided to start the Alma Linux OS Foundation. And the foundation is a 501c6 nonprofit. Uh, For those who are not really familiar with what that means, or for those who may have heard uh, the term 501c3 mentioned, um, this is a little bit different. So a 501c6 is basically a nonprofit organization which is there. To serve uh, the members of you know it's it's basically the membership body, and so uh, the, the, it's by the way this is the same structure that the Linux Foundation has. So the Linux Foundation is also a five hundred one c six, and so we kind of uh, uh, look to that um, for inspiration. And what we did was we set up the foundation so that basically the whole of the operating system, the assets, all the intellectual property are now owned by the foundation. And now that's very important because membership in the foundation is open to anyone in the open source community. So if you're a contributor, if you are you know involved in the project in any way, um, you can come in and sign up for a membership, which, by the way, that's not our requirement. That's a legal, like some people ask, like, oh, why do I need to sign up to become a member? So you need to sign up because that's a legal requirement um, that we have and um once you sign up you basically have the ability to vote and then you can vote for board members you can vote on other decisions that the board decides to bring to the community and so now not only do you um you know uh, uh own the operating system because the the foundation is owned there are no shareholders in a foundation um there's none of that it's basically owned the 501c6 is owned by its members so the members actually own everything about the OS, um, which is I think is, is is awesome. And if you look back at CentOS history, um, when when the sale to Red Hat happened, um, and and when other things transpired, um, all, if you look back in some of the history um, in the mailing list archives, you see people like Dag Weers, um, uh, you know, came out and basically said. You know, a lot of our problems would have been solved if we would have set this up as a proper foundation from the get go. And so uh, I think that this is exactly the right structure that is needed for a project, uh, you know, such as this. And it's great because, again, the community owns it, every member owns it. And to me personally, myself, like, I think that's the most powerful thing that. All this stuff that I work on, like I actually get to own it. This is not going into the hands of a corporation. This is not going into the hands of, you know, uh, an individual or two or ten or whatever it is. This is actually owned. It's made by us, and we own it. So uh, that's really, really powerful to me, at least, and that really resonated with me. And I just think as, as, as people involved in the open source community... We need to kind of take a look at um, how we do things and, and what do we value. And I think that's one of the things that we should value. And so that really resonated with me. So we set up this foundation. The foundation owns everything. The members, the public, everyone can vote for what they believe is the best course of action for the project. And basically, what the foundation is here to do is just make sure that, you know, the project keeps going, that the OS keeps going, that there are always resources behind the OS. So uh, basically, Cloud Linux is one of the sponsors of the foundation, and we have others as well. They're listed up on the site, and we have uh, a few more that, uh, you know, have have been uh, talking to us since we opened up uh, the membership process. So I think it's really good, and this is really the best way to ensure the long-term stability and viability of the operating system is by making sure that it's being run independently of, of any, like, specific interest or any particular interest um, yeah. by any by any group, not, you know, not, not just corporate group, but even people, you know, a group of people can decide that they want to do things one way, but if the community at large doesn't agree, then it's not going to happen. And um, we were actually having a discussion about this on our chat earlier today. And someone, you know, basically asked, like, what's there? What what stands in the way from of this being sold or or whatever it is? And, you know, so according to law, uh, a nonprofit can't be sold. So that's a good thing. Um, It can be transferred to another nonprofit. But then again, you know, it's it's just the same story. Like it's not you, you it can't be it can't be transferred out of there. So uh, as long as it's in that nonprofit structure, I think it's great. And then I basically answered back. I'm like, community is the safeguard because community will just vote for what they want. And that's what the reality will be. That's so cool. Uh, Fantastic.
2: For those who don't know, Jack, tell me a little bit about what is Alma Linux? How does it serve the community different from, say, Red Hat Linux or CentOS Stream?
1: Yes, so we're uh, basically (laughs) a rebuild of uh, Red Hat sources, so Red Hat Enterprise Linux sources, um, which is exactly what the classic, you know, CentOS Linux was. So uh, we're right there. We're kind of one-to-one. Our core mission is to be one-to-one with uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, right? So basically what we do is we take the sources and we rebuild them just the same way that CentOS did. And so um, how are we different? So Stream is going to approach that a little bit differently now. Um, and Stream is actually going to be tracking a little bit um, ahead of where we are. Um, but uh, I see Stream as something that uh, we need to work with. And it's something that's very positive, And it's something that's really going to help the community. Um, as opposed to a lot of people who kind of see it as something that is, you know, this like bastard child that Red Hat <laughs> created from CentOS and is now... Uh, you know, going to destroy everything. So uh, I I, I view it very differently. And I think that, uh, you know, each thing has its place. I think a lot of people will ultimately see the benefits in stream. And, um, you know, I mean, we we can talk about that a little bit more if you want. But I think there's there's a lot of good there. And I think that Red Hat, you know, they, they... they did think this out. They might have communicated it incorrectly, but I think they really did think this out pretty thoroughly before they went ahead and pulled the trigger.
2: Absolutely, they did. And I, we've started using it over at Alt-Speed Technologies. It has been absolutely fantastic. Um, who is the target audience for Alma Linux? Who are the users that you look at and say, hey, if you're listening to this, you're the right person. You're going to want to check out Alma Linux because you're the people that we are targeting. Who is that?
1: Yeah, so anybody that used to use CentOS. I mean, we're basically, uh, you know, continuing the path of the traditional CentOS. Um, and that's, you know, that's communities uh, uh, communities of, of, of use everywhere. I mean, I, you know, uh, sysadmins, uh, DevOps, developers, you know, uh, 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 web hosts, um People doing uh, high performance computing, um, you know, people doing uh, uh, science research. Uh, I think it's really just it's it's what we're meant to be is we're meant to be a a a a broad base uh, use OS which you can build upon. And so basically, uh, if I like to think of it this way, is basically we're meant to be the stage, and you're meant to be the rock star. So if you need a mm. stable foundation on which to, you know, on which to uh, uh, have your play, on which to deploy your product, on which to just develop whatever it is, um, that's what we're meant to be. And so, you know, I ideally, we will be in the background and not make a lot of noise because that's just what we're meant to be. I like that. I like that a lot. Um,
2: many people say that, you know, it's just recompiled REL, but that's not entirely accurate right? because there's a lot of infrastructure. There's a lot of management that goes into maintaining a clone. Talk about the work that Alma Linux is doing and the added value that comes with that management and that infrastructure.
1: Yes. Yeah, so that's, that's actually great that you asked that. So that is true. Um, There is a lot to it. Um, One of the things, so we're basically trying to uh, innovate in every way that we can. And part of that is the build system too. So uh, one of the big things now, for example, um, is uh, supply chain security. And so um, we realize that a lot of people are working on um, software bill of materials, which is kind of like a hot, Uh, Ticket thing right now. um, If you're, you know, if if you're paying attention to cybersecurity, and so uh, one of the things that we're trying to incorporate for our build system, which is basically our public build system, is uh, in the process of coming up right now. And one of the things we're trying to innovate there is with um, code notarization and code signing and um, you know preparing software bill of materials. So there's actually a really cool company called Code Notary. And what they do is they So um, one of their products is an immutable database. And what that lets you do is basically uh, you can incorporate their code notary uh, signing software into the build process. So into your, into your uh, tool chain, essentially. And then what that will do is it'll generate a software bill of materials for every artifact that's built um, uh, from your build system. And you can essentially, you know, at the end of the day, you can turn around and you have like a full notarized bill of materials, which is stored in an immutable database. So there's no way for anyone to change that. And then um, you can present that to um, whoever it is that's looking to verify the builds and that's looking to make sure that the builds are reproducible. So, um, you know, it, it's it's just it's one thing to say, like, hey, we can put together reproducible builds. Right. I mean, ideally, if if you have a clean environment and, and a clean uh, uh, tool chain, you can put together a reproducible build. But what we're actually trying to do is to make sure that, you know, that's being done in a way that's like authentically verifiable um, and reproducible from a, a third party perspective so that we can come to anyone and say, hey, These are the components that make up the distribution, and then they can actually go ahead and run those tools and verify that what they downloaded is what was actually built on our build system. So I think that that's uh, – speaking of infrastructure, you know, there really is a lot that goes on there, but we want to innovate there too. Like I don't think we want to just – um, we're not just complacent with taking rel sources and rebuilding them. I think, you know, at this point, so many people are doing it that it's become kind of easy to a certain extent. But I think we want to figure out, like, how can we make this better for the community? And I think that's one of the ways. So um, and, and, and that's one of the ways relating to infrastructure. And we're doing that with a bunch of different things as well.
2: The first release of Alma Linux was back in March of this year. I mean, there were beta releases before that, but the first production release was March of this year. What has been the reception of Alma Linux? How's Alma Linux doing?
1: Oh, <laughs> it's been phenomenal, actually. Um, so we we don't track downloads, obviously, um, because we like the only thing we can do is check logs from our main mirror, and then everyone else, uh, the mirrors don't report back to us at all. So, um, you know, from from our own primary mirror, um, I think we're, you know, close to like a million downloads um, at this point. And um, we have uh, a whole set of containers. And so uh, we're able to check through uh, Docker Hub, like what the usage is. And so we already have like close to three hundred and fifty thousand Docker pools, which when 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 I kind of saw that stat, I was a little bit. Um, humbled because I was just like, wow, you know, I mean, like I was just so grateful for the community and for everyone <laughs> <that's> <laughs> that, that that took the time to, to deploy our containers 350,000 times. Um, so uh, we have that. Um, we have our live images, which also have um, a nice amount of downloads. Um, we're on all the major cloud providers as well. Um, and, uh, you know, adoption has been great. I mean, we, we see lots of people active um, in our community, in our chat. You know, it's not as, as large as other communities, um, but it, it is very active. And I see that there are, uh, you know, people are engaged and people are asking questions. And we're really, at the end of the day, we're here to help people and we're helping them. So I think that's what really um, kind of uh, um, crystallizes everything for me. Is that, uh, you know, in the beginning, we didn't know what would happen. And then we saw lots of people flocking to us. And I mean, we're we're talking to people from all around the world in every possible like industry you can imagine. Um, you know, uh, uh, private users, developers, vendors, um, uh, U.S. government offices. It's just been like really tremendous uptake. And, uh, I, I mean, we're, we're, we're glad to do it for the community. Um, it, it just it proves to us that, that we're doing this for the right reason. And so uh, I'm so glad about that.
2: One of the things that turned me on to Alma Linux early on when I was looking through, you know, all of the different clones that were kind of popping up and the different options that were out there was the community event that you have each week, which you take feedback and you answer questions and you're actively involved. Tell me about that. How did that come to fruition and how's it going?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's open office hours. That's just what it is. Uh, you know, I, not, I I wish every open source project um, was able to do that. And, you know, I life is very hard for maintainers. So I don't blame them in the least that they don't. But we thankfully have the capability to do that. And so we decided, you know what, let's just have open office hours. Let anyone come in, ask. And, and you know, we're... We're not limiting questions to be asked <laughs> during office hours. You can come in and ask a question anytime you want um, on our chat, on our forums, on IRC, whatever it is, and we'll always answer you. Um, but we just wanted to make sure that there was a targeted time set aside for community to come in, ask any questions that they have, get help. You know, a lot of times, like, people will wait for their, you know, to, 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 to put up their new server Um, until, like, they can get into office hours and ask us questions. And, you know, sometimes people just need, like, an extra hand or people need ideas about something or whatever it is. And so um, it's been great. Um, You know, sometimes it's been more active than others. But, I mean, it's phenomenal. I think everyone should do it all the time. Uh, You know, it's it's part of what we need to do. Like, well, everything of what we do is there to serve the community. And so the more interaction we can have, the more, like, open dialogue we can have, uh, you know, the more freedom people can have to ask questions, um, I think that's that's an amazing thing. And I think everyone should adopt that if they can. I know that everyone can't for whatever reason and lots of people are busy, but they de- definitely should if they can. It's, it's also great for us because we kind of get to get um, like instantaneous feedback from the community on stuff. And so if we like perceive that something is missing or something that can be improved, We can take that feedback and run with it like right away as opposed to waiting or as opposed to having to hear from it, uh, uh, hear about it from a vendor. And uh, it's just really powerful to be able, you know, someone uh, popped up like last week on Thursday and was asking us for a pause container because uh, REL UBI has a pause container and we put out um, uh, like UBI equivalent containers. And they were like, hey, you're missing a pause container. And like 15 minutes, um, we turned it around to them. Wow. And the person was just stunned and was like, are you serious? And, you know, I mean, like I, I didn't know what to say. I'm like, yeah, I mean, like, I guess we're at your service. Like, you know, this is what this is our whole purpose for existence. So you shouldn't be surprised. And um, it was great to just turn that around to them and, and to be able to do things like that. I think, you know, to be reactive to people instantaneously and to make sure uh, people know that they're being heard and that they're, you know, fee- uh, a lot of times in open source projects, your feedback, I don't want to say it goes nowhere, but kind of, you know, sits on the side for a little bit until someone kind of has the bandwidth to deal with it. And so I kind of like live for that, like one to one real time, like, let's just do it right here, right now, you know, and uh, and and it's great to be able to do that. And, and I love it. I, you know, I want to I want to do more of it.
2: So, uh, for somebody out there, they're certainly listening to this, and they're having the reaction that I had, which is that is so cool that they are willing to serve people and go that far to make sure that people are served well. How do people get involved with Open Office Hour? Somebody's hearing that and they're switching over to Alma Linux, or they're wanting to give it a try. How do they participate?
1: Uh, Chat Um It's it's uh, noon Eastern every Monday. Um, you know, feel. F- You don't have to wait till noon Eastern on a Monday. Uh, You can come in anytime. We're usually in there. Uh, You know, I I think I'm awake at this point probably 20 hours a day. (laughs) I'm usually in there. And uh, there are lots of other community members in there to help. So just, you know, mosey on in whenever you uh, feel like it. And if you certainly want to join us for uh, office hours, uh, you're more than welcome to. Just hop on Org. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll meet you there. We're also on uh, It's Bridged to uh, IRC on LiberaChat and also to uh, Matrix. Um, so, you know, and basically whatever medium you're using to communicate with the community, um, you can find us there and just pop in and ask your question.
2: Tell me what is coming up next. What do we have to look forward to next from Linux? What are you guys working on?
1: Yeah, so one cool thing that we actually did, which I think is like, <laughs> is really, really cool, um, kind of the, main, the, the, the most requested um, feature uh, for the enterprise Linux family of distributions throughout its history has been a tool to do major version upgrades. So to be able to go from like CentOS 6 to CentOS 7, CentOS 7 to CentOS 8, to, to Alma Linux 8, to Oracle 8, to Rocky Linux 8, to whatever it is. Um, it just never existed. And so what we did um, was we released our Project Elevate. And Project Elevate is basically just that. It's an in-place major version migration tool for uh, uh, the enterprise Linux family of distributions. And we did this as a totally you know open project. Uh, it works with every distribution out there. So we're not trying to force people to, to migrate or upgrade to Alma. They can go to whatever distribution they want. That's what open, open source is all about. It's all about choice. And so uh, Red Hat actually had a tool called Leap, which was geared towards uh, migrations between Rel versions. Um, but the issue with it was is that it required uh, metadata, which was not under a free license. So you actually needed a Red Hat subscription to be able to get at that data. And the tool worked well. Um, it just it, 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 There were some things that were a little bit rough around the edges, and it also didn't support any of the community distributions. So uh, what we did was um, <clears throat> we started working on having it support Um, other distributions and we also reached out to the maintainers at red hat and kind of told them hey this is what we want to do Um, you know can we work together to make this happen because we want this to be something that's upstream and that works for everyone and that's not something that's specific to us or our ecosystem Um, i think this can really benefit like a tremendous (laughs) tremendous amount of people and when i say tremendous i I i really mean that because there's still Um, Lots of people that are running CentOS 6, and I think that eventually the tool will get to the point where it'll enable you to move off CentOS 6. And CentOS 6 is end of life, so people aren't getting security updates, and that's really a big problem. Um, But basically what we did is we worked with uh, the maintainers at Red Hat to put together these patches so that uh, it'll support uh, all the community-based distributions And then what we did for the metadata. So it's actually, uh, I think this is something really awesome. Um, We worked with uh, Oracle, who I know everyone is like, boo, hiss, Oracle, whatever, you know, like, no. Um, But they actually had a set of metadata that they put together, which was under an Apache license. And so basically we worked with them to incorporate that into metadata that we were putting together and then we kind of join that together. So we have a base metadata set for everyone to use. And then we also put together something called the package evolution service. And so what the package evolution service does, um, so packages evolve between releases. Um, and there are a few like primitives of what can happen to a package between releases. So like a package, for example, can be added, it can be removed, it could be split and um, and so what the Package Evolution Service does is, number one, it lets you come in and define like your package set. So you can tell it, I'm going from, you know, CentOS 7 to Oracle 8. And then it'll spit out the metadata that you need to use. But even more than that, we want to make this uh, a collaborative community project. And so what anyone can do is they can come in and contribute metadata for their, you know, for any package, especially if they're the maintainer. Of a package. So anyone can come in there and they can upload that. And I think that's awesome because you have, you know, uh, uh, software vendors can come in and say, hey, you know, I know my package best. And between this release to that release, this is what changed. And this is what needs to be done to upgrade from one to the other. So they can submit it there. And just we wanted to make it like an open ground for the community to contribute um, so that everyone can benefit from it. And uh, we did it. And so far, um, it's been great. I mean, we've had like tons and tons of people that uh, wandered into our chat. Uh, We set up a special channel for migrations. And, you know, sometimes they're in that channel. Sometimes they're in the general channel. But just like a lot of people are using it. And it's working. And that's great because people can, you know, they have more freedom now. They have more choice. They can be on whatever operating system they want. They can be on whatever version they want. They can be on whichever flavor of distribution they want, and it's you know it's it's all made possible through this, and and hopefully that'll continue, um, you know, through the power of community. And we even support stream with that, so you can go from CentOS seven to CentOS eight stream, and hopefully nine stream, and you know we're we're we hope it'll it'll continue to grow. Um, I think. You know, that's just one of the things that we're doing that's kind of like outside of the core mission, which is uh, really awesome and what people can get involved in. Um, people can get involved in, in really everything. Um, you know, uh, we have a very uh, awesome group of community volunteers that are, are doing uh, cloud images. Uh, we have an awesome, awesome uh, community contributor. Uh, his, I want to shout him out. His name is Bala Rahman um he's basically been doing you know leading our container work and you know it's it's amazing it's he, he's a machine <laughs> i don't know how else to say it you know um so you can get involved in that um we have our raspberry pi stuff um you can get involved in um there's really you know docs if you want to do docs uh we would love help in <laughs> on the docs um you know so really whatever you know whatever your heart desires i think that more than anything else What my goal for the community is, is to make sure that the community is a very open and welcoming place that's very inclusive for everyone so that no matter what level you're at and no matter where you're at in your game, you can come in, you can contribute. You don't need to be afraid of, you know, hey, like we had someone that made their first open source contribution ever um, to one of our projects, to our Raspberry Pi project. And number one, I was humbled because, like, you know, there's so much to choose from. Like, why choose us? So that was really awesome. But more than that, I was just really proud that the person felt like they could come here and make their first contribution without being afraid of, like, judgment and without, you know, listen, open source is tough. And and there are a lot of, uh, um, you know, very, let's put it this way, very opinionated people in many of the communities. And a lot of times people don't have patience for the newbies. You know and I think uh, more than anything I, I want to change that perception and I want to make our community a place where anyone can come and learn and grow and contribute um, without without being afraid of making a mistake um, and that's really that's really like the, the the main focus of what I do all day every day is just making sure that that's our community is like I I see people saying negative things sometimes I'm not afraid to call them out and let them know hey like, you know, this is not what we're we're about. <laughs> take it. Take it to another room, you know, and, uh, and and, you know, whatever you really even if you're starting from zero and you want to contribute you're, you're, you know, either you're brand new to Linux or you've never contributed before, but you've been a user and you want to just try something, you know, just join us and we'll help you. I mean, that's what that's what we're here for
2: jack abut he is the community manager for alma linux and a guest this hour on the ask noah show jack jack from myself i just want to thank you so much for not only taking the time but i thank you for what you're doing it is beyond fantastic thank you so much for your service and your sacrifice to the community we'll we look forward to getting you back on the program real soon
1: noah i want to thank you for the same exact thing and the amount of work you put into the show um and, and And as a, as a fan of the show, I really uh, I guess this is my first time being able to personally thank you. So I want to thank you for the same exact thing. Thank you so much, Noah.
2: Pleasure is mine. Hey, before we get out of here, I do want to get to the gadget of the week this week. We just got a couple minutes left in the show, but I wanted to give this a shout out. So it is the Lenovo Gen 2 Thunderbolt dock. Now we've talked about the Lenovo Thunderbolt docks on this program before, but what makes the Gen 2 different is I noticed we ordered it for a client, pulled it out of the box. There were four display jacks on it. Now, two of them were tied together. Two of them were independent. And so I thought to myself, I wonder if that means... You can use three of the four displays simultaneously. And I connected it to my X1 Carbon, and oh my gosh, would you believe? Yes. The Gen 2 Lenovo Thunderbolt dock does allow you to drive three, one, two, three, count them, three displays from your laptop, your Thunderbolt-equipped laptop. So we'll have a link for you for that Gen 2 Thunderbolt dock in the show notes. That is the only one that I've tried from HP Lenovo. I've tried the OWC one. I've tried all of the Dell ones. Um, none of them that I found can drive three displays um, like the Lenovo Gen 2 doc has. So we'll have a link for you in the display notes. I'd also invite you to take a look at our segment with uh, Gregory Kutzner, uh, the head of the Rocky Linux project. If you'd like to get a full look at what it looks like for Red Hat clones and our sister program, Open Source Voices, did an interview with Gregory. You can learn more about that at OpenSourceVoices.org/slash. 21. Go ahead and check that out. It's the producer of the show, JT Pennington. He does a great job with open source voices. Um, and he had Gregory on his show. And that just kind of about does it, doesn't it, Steve?
0: Yeah, I think that was a really interesting look into the community side of um, the passion that exists inside of an organization. And I think that the community is better off for having Alma Linux around. Uh, even as a Red Hat employee, I think that um, I'm happy that this, this void was filled. Anytime that the community steps up and, and kind of scratches its own itch, it you know,
2: we're all better off for it. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with that more. That's well said. The music in our ears means we're out of time. You can follow that guy. He's at Linuxovens. I'm at Colonel Linux. You can follow the show on Twitter at Ask Noah Show. The show is recorded live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. You can join us live in our interactive Jitsi group. You can learn more by going to geeklab.ninja. Join the chat there. Participate in the chat during the show or catch it on the live reruns. You can download this show as well as all of the articles and references we use to create the show over at podcast.asknoahshow.com. This about does it for this episode. We'll be back next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central, asknoahshow.com. Have a good week.